music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield. It's the Hivecast, and welcome to this week's show. Uh, don't forget, you can always reach me on Twitter at Matt Pinfield or at Matthew Pinfield on Facebook. My guest today has taken some of the most iconic pictures in the history of rock and roll. I've been a fan of his since before I ever knew what he looked like as a kid. Just reading the album covers, looking at his amazing photos that he's taken. And then I'm lucky enough to now call him a friend. I've been friends with him for quite a few years, and I'm very, very excited to have him as a guest. And I know you'll enjoy listening to him speak and hear his stories as well today. And I'm talking about Mick Rock. Mick, welcome to the show. It's great it's to have you. It's a total pleasure to be here, Matt. Always. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, those photos that you've taken and... And you've been doing it, you've never stopped. You've always taken, whether it's, you know, the killers from the killers these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Janelle yes. Monet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yes. Janelle Monet, of course, had the, you know, number one record with fun with We Are Young. And she's great on her own. She's so cool. Look, her look is so amazing. She's totally self-styled, too. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing. Like, when I saw her, I thought of Grace Jones, you know, back in the day, you know. And yeah, Grace but this like, woman controls her entire destiny. The yeah. music, the look. I mean, she's brilliant. I love her. Yeah, she's really. And she's cool. tiny. She is. I interviewed her at South by Southwest like a few years ago, and she was when she was first coming right. around, and she was lovely. She was really cool. Yeah, she's very articulate. Yes, yeah, it was she's great. a great bright little lady. Mick, you were from Cambridge originally, right? In England, no, I'm actually a London lad, but I was. I did do my uh, school university uh, stint at Cambridge. So, yes. what do you remember is about you know being a kid in London? When, what was your first exposure to music? What were you listening to? Oh. What would it be? It would, you know, it's the radio. It was all about the radio back in those days. Was it the pirate stations like Radio Caroline, or was it? BBC yeah, but there One? was. I remember there was a Sunday program where they did the top twenties. Pick of the Pops was that what it was called? No, that was Top of the Pops was a TV program but that there was came one called Pick of the Pops. There might have been. I can't remember what it was called. I know there was a guy called Alan Freeman, who was a well-known English DJ. Uh, he used to be on it, and I think. Uh, the now notorious, although not surprisingly, for those of us that have been around the business, Jimmy Savile. Now, what happened to Jimmy? There's some crazy stories that came out about well, him recently. Yeah. He was a Top of the Pops host. He was more than that. He became, he got some OBE or something from the Queen. I mean, he was, well, everybody knew he liked people who weren't quite of age, shall we yeah. say. So, so he was been a big boys, sca- pretty much. Si- not, no, I don't think that was true. I think it was a bit of this and a bit of that. Oh, either one, young girls, whatever it was, right? Yeah, whatever it was, they were... Um, they, but, I mean, everyone everyone knew about it. They were. It was a running joke in the industry when I got involved with it in the 70s. So um, my friend Andrew Lou Goldham, who was the original... You know Andrew, obviously. I know Andrew well, yeah. Yeah, from Sir, now Sirius Radio. And he and I, you know, and he lives in Colombia now, of course. Yes. I, you know, he and I... Hung out, you know, gotten together with a bunch of guys and hung out in uh, Los Angeles to talk about life and things in general. You know, good, great guy, love it. Unbelievable. I mean, he's responsible really for putting Mick and Keith together to write for the first time in that kitchen and saying, "Yeah, that's songs. right." You, you know, know the tale, yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he locked him in the kitchen. Don't come out till you've written a song. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and so there's because they all live together. Tell me about Andrew. When did you meet him? Did you meet him back I, in those? No, I didn't know him in the days of the Stones. I met him actually. In New York in the late 70s, he had a band called the Werewolves uh, who were on RCA Records. And I knew the people at RCA because of Bowie and Lou, and I, I had done some work with the Kinks. And Andrew and I 
I got to know him, and there was a certain amount, shall we say, of chemical inebriation involved in our relationship, (laughs) which transcending that, you know. (laughs) I mean, he's been clean for about a year, the year longer than me. I think he's like 17 and a half. Yeah, he's been a long time in the beginning of his first book, Stoned. He's written three books now. Oh, yeah, three. Yeah, he did Two Stoned. It's great. I mean, for those people who want to hear more of the Stone stuff, Two Stoned is where that really kicks in. London in the 60s. That's the marvelous thing about Stoned and Two. So, yeah, Stoned builds up to the Stones, and Two Stoned is all about the Stone. And Stone Free, which is his new book, which I haven't read yet. I must Neither have I, so I'll admit it. I right. The other two are I've read, and they're both sitting on my over my fireplace here. Brilliant man. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, he almost, you might say, invented the modern music business with immediate records, you know. I mean, that was... Immediate his, records had the small faces? Yes, the small faces. Farlow? That Yes. I mean, lots of people. Nico made her first record. She did her for immediate records uh, before she came to New York. And hooked up with Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. So, uh, yes, fascinating man, totally brilliant, and a long-time, very dear friend of mine. And um, he, uh, well, I'll tell you a tale. It was him that went to a certain gentleman by the name of Alan Klein, who was always very kind to me. I know he has an interesting reputation yeah, out of there. Course, you know, but, but I knew him through Andrew, and I did a lot of work for him. And when I had my heart attacks in, um, in 1996, Andrew went to Alan and said, Mick needs some help. And Alan laid out about 100 grand because I had no health insurance. I always thought, oh, if anything goes wrong with me, I'll go back to England, you know, which was a stupid thought. But anyway, Alan laid out 100 grand, put me under his cardiologist at uh, NYU Medical Center, and basically rescued my life. So, so you know what? That's I'd have good things to say about Alan Klein then too, because you know, for years, yeah. of course, he bought the Stones and owns the Stones catalog. For well, Andrew, the right? he, through yeah, through Andrew that came up and and up and until so, including Let It Let It Breathe. No, yeah, Sticky Fingers the was the Stone record. was the first Stone on Rolling Stone Records. Yeah, but he, everything else that was on London here or Decca over there. Yes. Alan owns the rights to. He also owns the rights to Herman's Hermits Recordings, The Animals. And The Animals, yes. And Phil Spector. His, his son has just signed a new record deal with Eric Burden. I know. But um, so, did, was this, we, did we bring up Andrew because of the Jimmy Savile thing? Was that what it oh, was? Oh, Jimmy Savile. That's Savile, how. Savile, yes, like yes, yes. Who lo- yeah. was a strange looking character. <laughs> he was a weird looking. He was a weird guy. <laughs> and I couldn't believe they still had him on top of the pops in like the late 70s. I'm like... God. No, but he was like a BBC TV personality into the 80s and 90s. When did he die? He, he only died a few years ago. And that's when all the dirt started coming out. And a- Andrew and I talked and we went, big surprise. You yeah. Know, everybody knew it wasn't. <laughs> but, but, the, but no one did anything about it. But this has turned out to be true, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. I mean, it's. Yeah. It doesn't damn the Catholic and Church. And Gary Glitter, speaking of oh, the glam era. Gary Glitter, yeah. And he was supposed to be the kind of straight face of, of Glitter, you know? Yeah. And like the Bowies and the Loos and all the rest of it. Who was and supposed T-Rex to, and Mott, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was... Um, anyway, it's a but crazy world. It is. It really is. So let's go back to your beginning. So, ah. so they're in London. But you're the first But person- I went to Cambridge, and I did get to know Sid Barrett because he was from Cambridge. And um, he uh, was it before he formed Pink Floyd? No, no, Pink Floyd before. But I actually saw him first time I met him. I saw him play at a Cambridge Arts College um, Christmas party, and 
I met Sid afterwards, but we had some mutual friends, and they taught me to see him. They said, you've got to see Sid Barrett, and he's got this band called Pink Floyd, who were not known at that point outside of a small subterranean audience. Of course, the following summer, they popped and Piper at the Gates of Dawn and see Emily play. And, and Arnold, Arnold Lane, Lane, right? Yeah, and he was the Floyd at the beginning. And, and you know, Roger and Dave have freely acknowledged that. It's at the beginning. I actually did the last interview with him in 19... 19- 71, because in my early days, I used to sometimes do little interviews as well, because then I could get a bit more money. And I'd take, do the interview and I'd do the pictures. I could get 30 quid instead of 25 quid, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and it actually was for Rolling Stone. And they credited the photo, but they didn't credit the, uh, they didn't credit the piece. Well, they truncated it horribly. If you get Psychedelic Renegades, the book, uh, you, you get to see the full piece that I wrote about him. And that was the last interview I ever did with anybody. Could you see Sid, like, kind of losing it after a while? like, or just? Well, kind of I always got on with Sid. I mean, the, the stories were, like, were around. But you got to remember, this is 69, 70. This is hippie time. And, and there's a lot of a crazy lot of There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. I took LSD. And maybe I took 10 or 11 trips in my time. One was with Sid. The Sid one was actually... A pretty mellow experience. I mean, I got we played records, we played Go, uh, we looked at um, what were they Zap comics? You got yeah. Robert Crumb. I mean, I remember yeah. that. That's when LSD introduced everybody to to Robert Crumb, who apparently never did it. Interestingly yeah. enough, it's and, always those guys. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's so funny that are associated. He's yes. You got to tell everybody how you and Bowie came uh, to meet each oh, other. Oh, that was an interesting thing. Yeah. Somebody had given me uh, a copy, a press copy, because I remember it had a hole in the corner. And that's how they used to do it with the albums back then, with the record companies. We'd send, send out them promos. Out. That was do you way remember of... that? Like yep, you got a hole in the 12 inches in it, the corner. It, yeah. it was in the corner so you would know it was so it was not to be sold. It was promotional. Yeah. That was the yeah. way. Of course, you could sell them. And yeah. you could make a few dollars on them, because <laughs> I actually did. I don't think I sold Hunky Dory. but uh, because And I remember that first night. I played the album, but I played Life on Mars. God knows how many times. All I know is I played it so many times that I fucked the record up. I scratched it. And the next day I had to actually go out and buy a copy because I was so buzzed by it. And in the wake of that, because I was doing these... Um, inter- I had done Sid Barrett. I had done um, something on Rory Gallagher, whom I actually did three album covers for. The, uh, the I don't know if you know that. Which three, which the three first covers? three. Wow. The first one, Rory Gallagher, the second one, Juice, yeah. and the Live in Europe, Double yeah. Gatefold. Those you were check all your them photos. out. I had no idea. I and have Juice, them. At Juice <laughs> and the Gatefold, I did the art direction wow. on too. That's amazing. Because, you know, that added a few more dollars to the, to the coffers. Yeah. If you actually ordered the type and cut it up and pasted it down, you know? Yeah. That's so, amazing. Um, yes, I, know I had done the first two, I think, before I met David. Um, so, yeah, I did have a bit of history. A lot of people think that David Bowie kind of invented me, and in a certain sense, you might say he did. Anyway, Life on Mars, Hunky Dory, somehow got a hold of his. I mean, there were, you know, there were no agents, there were no managers. I mean, photographers were basically a kind of street animal, you know, especially rock photographers. They were hardly, you know, I mean, they weren't in the pecking order. They were fairly... Uh, uh, well, they were a bit above the roadies, but not so much, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mick, what was the first photo session you did with David, and what was the first meeting like? 
I actually went up to Birmingham to see him. I think there were 400 people in the audience. He had released Hunky Dory, and, uh, and it wasn't... That was in early March, I believe, April, May. It was only three months later that, uh, that Ziggy Stardust was released. And um, I remember he had a plugger, Anya, a very pretty young blonde lady. Which is a radio promotion person. Ex- exactly. She would go around and do God knows what, maybe hand money over to get records played or or maybe... Some it, other love. And maybe supply a little bit of energy, you know. Yes. <laughs> And she was it well. Was the 70s, she was 70s. she was well equipped for it because I sampled it on one occasion. Yeah, too, so. <laughs> she's got a little love from her, which is good. Enya, but she was lovely. I mean, everyone liked her. She was a very sweet, not just because of the uh, fringe benefits, but because she was a really she was a cool lady. I mean, back in those days, ladies that gave fringe benefits, they were like. They were, you know, was, part, part. They were part of the lads. You it know, was I mean, free love in those days. Exactly. There was no AIDS. There was, there were, you exactly. Know. It's many years before AIDS. It was a, and, and venereal diseases were were, were minor. I mean, they, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, so you go and get a shot. In, yeah, bingo. So mix of those first pictures. Yeah, the done. first backstage they were, and he's. You can see he's kind of thinking, and he's plunking his guitar. There's a couple of shots with Trevor Boulder alongside him, and then I shot him in performance, and they must be. A couple of days later, I went out to Beckenham and I interviewed him. And, and that was the first of a series of interviews I actually did of, of him in those days. So I was, you know, words and pictures. I mean, I'd done album covers as well, but, well, you know, you, you, a boy had to make a living and I knew how to, I knew how to put a word or two on paper because of my overeducation. But I did quite a bit of it in early days. But by, I would say, I think the last time I ever did anything, would have been like mid seventies because I didn't have time anymore because because, I, fo- because I'd gotten a little bit whatever popular whatever popular meant back then as a photographer but I was you know, I, I was definitely and- a flavour yeah I was definitely a flavour so with David so what were some of the most memorable moments of those those photo shoots for you and what you consider to be some of them well I I do think I learned a lot from watching David I mean he was uh, that he was already a master of his craft. And that included how to stand in front of a camera. I mean, this guy never looked bad in a photograph. It wasn't like you... I mean, I've got all these pictures from back then. You go, well, we'll edit out the bad ones. Well, there's not many of them. You know, I've got like five or 6,000 pictures of him as Ziggy Stardust. To edit that down, you if I edited it, got out the ones I didn't care for, you'd still have nearly... You'd still have like 4,750 pictures yeah. that are very usable. But I mean, those 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 were incredible shows, and you took those photos, like the classic photo of Mick with a guitar. Oh, like, you know, that the, day. the simulated fellatio. That was uh, with yes. Bowie. Tell me, where was that shot? That was at Oxford Town Hall. Now Ziggy, he'd had a, a top ten hit with Starman. That's what really started the rumble to happen How in mid May. Started because of that on top of the pops. People say that that was like yeah, zero. when they played Starman. Yeah. Yes, and that. <laughs> predated, obviously, the release of Ziggy Starter. But that was really the beginning with Starman um, because he was playing to quite small audience. I, I travelled around England with him on that pre-Ziggy release period. And the, you can see from... I've got quite a bit of footage that he's... Of course, it's interesting with his, the interest in this footage nowadays. But anyway, that's another tale to be told. Now, it's five years, that new BBC documentary. Are you in that as well? What is in there, there's yeah. at least eight or nine minutes of my footage because I've done a licensing deal, including 
uh, some outs from life on Mars that hadn't been out there before. Those are beautifully shot clips, which I think we should talk about, too. Ah, the clips, First of all, you know what was crazy, Mick? I remember you could buy Super 8 films in the 70s on the back of comic books and magazines. And instead of Gene Genie, which is the video that you directed, the film you made, it said Janny Janny. Uh, <laughs> it like oh, could you out. get that in those days? Yeah. Probably DeFries had done a deal. I don't even yeah. know. So you could actually buy it on a Super 8. And, you know, tell me that well, that was shot where in Los Angeles? Because it's got this great street look. Genie was shot actually in San Francisco. Um, David and, and I would talk a couple. He'd say, I mean, it would always be his. Uh, he knew I'd played around a bit with film. There's a couple of very early things, and of course I shot this raw footage. Um, first one I did was John Amoni dancing, which was at the shot on the stage of the Rainbow Theatre, which he did with Lindsay Kemp with all this ladders and scaffolding. Yeah, that looked very that's light. the first one you shot? That was the first one I shot. And, and you can see, it's well, I had about two hours with him, and we actually didn't have a playback machine. There was a record some thing, and it wasn't really a record player that would play the single, and it it wobbled a little bit. So, so they were singing to that, and so they were you, singing if you to like a beat up, like kind of a record. Yeah, player, like yeah. A but if you if you player. if you, <laughs> well, it was made for like two hundred quid, you know. Yeah. But I, I, I remember the editing. Um, but that's how sharp David was, because there weren't really hardly any outlets for any of these videos at the time. They've subsequently gotten very well known and I, I know the uh, Museum of Modern Art has inducted a lot of Bowie's videos into it but but um, certainly Space... Jean was the, who was the woman that was in it? That's uh, Sorinda Fox. Who ended up marrying um, well, David Johansson was... and then Steven and then, Tyler, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. A wonderful lady. Yeah. And, I, and, and she's the mother of... Um... She's the mother of Mia. Yeah, Mia, Mia Tyler. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. She's, uh, she died a few years ago. She had a but yeah, she was with Dave, she was with David Joe, and then I think Stephen. Whatever yeah, that was, all, a that lot was of, the seventies. That was 70s. a lot of craziness going on, <laughs> and a lot of chemicals flying yeah. around. And she was a lot of fun. She was a nice lady. I love the way you shot the look of Bowie and the spiders because it just looked really cool. The way they washed out white with the. Oh, you're talking about. Oh, yeah. well, 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 Life on Mars is only David. Yeah, I know. Gene Genie. Oh, yes, of course. You're thinking of Gene Genie. Yeah, it cuts yes. to, when Gene Genie yeah, cuts yes. to those scenes yes. of the band, it just, yes. it was, to me, the template for how so many videos years later came. Uh, I think Bill Bourbon, many years later in the 80s, called me a video pioneer. But I wasn't, you know, you, we did them as part of the fun and games. And because David say, well, we can grab a few dollars for expenses. And we did. And, um, of course, the beauty of a, of a David is that many, many years later, probably around 99, he actually gave me back the rights. Well, I'd never had them, and I never thought about it, but he gave me the rights to those, um, to the visual side of, I mean, he acknowledged, as it were, whatever contribution I've made and the fact that, well, I wasn't, to be fair, there wasn't much money around, and... I wasn't really in it for the money. And and the corollary of that was you didn't need a lot of money back in those days to live in a big city like London or New York come to that. You know, you didn't need a... You could grab it. I mean, for the Queen album cover, I can the Queen 2 one, I also did Sheer Heart. We it's need that. to talk about those two as well in a second. We right. should also are, you, are you want to linger on David? No, yes. I just want to mention yes. Life on Mars, you did that clip too. Yeah, That's I did. That's beautifully shot as well. Yeah, there's another version. Well, there's actually three versions of it. 
there's the original version, which has a few little clips of crowd audience in it, which sometime in the 80s, again, I think it was the days of white light, and I tinkered with that and, and blew it out a bit. So the, the one that's most been seen is that version and took out the crowd bits. So not many people have seen the original version, although, um, but then last year, I worked with the gentleman, Barney Clay, who's made the documentary about me, and he and I, and, and a very good technical guy, worked up this version that's only seen in museums, and it's like a, a four-screen piece that goes completely bananas in the middle. It's all done with David's sanction, of course. I mean, I didn't do anything with anything without getting... David's approval. Yeah. yeah. But what about Freddie Mercury and Queen? Because uh, you've taken those iconic What about Iggy photos. and Lou, though? Well, we're going to do that. Well, we should go in order, then. We should go yeah, to we, Iggy we, and Lou next, because... Think, yes, because... And then, and then we should go... We Queen. Should, yeah, you want Queen and Brian Ferry, and yeah. then you want to But we should do pistols. Iggy and Lou. Which was first, um, mm. the cover of Transformer or Raw Power? Which one? Well, uh, therein lies an interesting tale. I, they were shot... At the same location. Now, what's it was, it at the... That, it's uh, called King's Cross. It was actually a cinema that on Friday and Saturday nights converted into a, a rock venue. And um, I always thought I'd shot them a week apart. But the record seems to suggest that I actually shot them in successive nights. And I believe I shot Transformer first and then the next night. I mean, I think even if the truth were, Lou didn't go on stage till after midnight. So technically, I shot them in the same 24-hour period. So you had two iconic album covers, Lou Reed, Bing Transformer, bang. and Iggy Pop, Roy Power. And and you, just, to me, to <laughs> me, they were always a pair. Or, yeah. Because not only were they the American contingent and, and kind of much more subversive. And had than David, the Eng- you know, David was there to bring them. Well, David, out. of course, was the force that brought them over. And, um, and that when we connected at first, me and David, when I did the first interview... He was curious about Sid Barrett because he knew Sid was a friend of mine. And I wanted to know about Lou and Iggy, whom he had met in New York. We could come over. And met the people at the factory and all that. And And met Warhol and these guys. And In fact, because he couldn't get a record deal in England because the record companies thought he was washed up. After I mean, space if you could, already, right? Yeah. No, after, you have space, actually, after The Man Who Sold the World yeah. was the one, and they couldn't give it away. Of course, all these characters were like that. You couldn't give away Mott the Hoople's. Uh, Early records for, on Island before, Exactly. Yeah. Those didn't go anywhere. The and Stooges albums. You couldn't give away. You could, and the and you couldn't give solo record, right? Not that only that, and too. all the Velvets. So, yeah. so he was in good company, and of course he rescued everybody. I mean, I just looked at him like he was a magician or a ringmaster. I was totally fascinated by what he was, by what he was up to. You think about what Bowie that did? That summer of 72, not only was Ziggy released and Ziggy Mania started on its interesting <laughs> yeah. path, but he also produced uh, Transformer with Mick Ronson, and he also produced all the young dudes uh, for Mott the Hoople, uh, and he impresarioed, you might say, raw power. He didn't, by the time they managed to get themselves somewhere a little bit serious, because they were a wild bunch. I mean, they made the Pistols and the Clash look like amateur beginners. I mean, they were already (laughs) way out there. Yeah. I mean, mean, there's a great quote from Iggy uh, that I have in my Raw Power book, and he says, I had a band and it went to hell. I thought, wow, that was the fucking Stooges. (laughs) Of course, they're out there romping around again, and he's... He's working with James. I mean, and, and they 
they co-wrote all that raw power stuff. But they were under the umbrella of the company that his manager had. Main man, right? Uh, main man, the legend of Tony DeFreeze, or Deep Freeze, as they call yeah, him, right? Called, yeah, he was, an, he was a character. <laughs> I mean, you know, one shouldn't, um, well, whatever. It's, uh, yeah. I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> yeah. You so, know? so the Lou Reed out. So he was. He went on around midnight, and you were catching him performing tracks. Yeah, I, I had got here. David had taken me. I think a few days before Lou had gotten up on stage for Save the Whales benefit, and this was in July. So Ziggy was percolating and getting a lot of attention, and David was getting a lot of attention. But um, so, how many pictures getting back to Lou in that evening ah, at King's yeah. Cross? I did shoot quite a lot. You'll see quite a lot of them in this book. In this book, I shot color and black and white. Well, I could have shot as many as 100 shots, yes. Because in those early days, I would develop my own stunt. And I actually printed Transformer. So I have a print. I think I printed maybe four or five of them. I have one of them left. But originally, that wasn't going to be the cover. There was an, the guy that is on the back of Transformer with the banana in the sock. Yeah, the kind trousers. of the, the guy who's like cruiser, cruising kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. well, it was, it was um, Tom of Finland. It was based on these underground gay comic characters, this guy called Tom of Finland. Uh, and the guy that actually styled him, he, he actually was Roxy Music stylist. And he worked with this photographer. I didn't shoot those pictures. Shot by a guy called Carl Stoke, who shot the first two Roxy Music album covers as well. He was an American guy based there. And he shot the two pictures. I, rem- I was there, although I didn't shoot them. I observed the whole thing, and I saw the banana going in the sock and down Ernie's trousers. Yes. And, and people, for a long time, thought that those were two pictures of Lou. But no, that's a girl. That's Gayla. She, she eventually married Mick Jagger's younger brother, Chris Jagger. Yeah. But for many years, people said, oh, that's Lou, and Lou in drag. And you go, no, Lou, Lou actually never did drag. If he did, I would know about it, believe me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's, that's but, but so the key thing was when I, of course I didn't know Lou that well, and Lou was staying out in Wimbledon, which is somewhere on the fringes of London. I mean, uh, was staying in some strange place for Lou. It's where I shot those flower. Out, you know the flower outfit. There's these yeah. pictures, very unlu Reed. Yeah, in an outfit which was in fact designed by Freddie Barassi, who was David's personal designer, especially in the early Ziggy times. And he, he he did all the very early Ziggy outfits before David became a little bit more addicted to the Kansai uh, stuff, uh, the Japanese stuff, which he uh, came across in in early '73. So, and I, I made this print. I made several. I was going to go out and show them to Lou. You know, I was interested in Lou, obviously, the Velvet Underground. To me, he was, he was already, in my mind, Baudelaire, yeah. who's the great French symbolist poet, a rock and roll Baudelaire. I mean, I saw these characters in the light of the people that I was studying at Cambridge, namely the crazy, fucked-up poets, the French symbolists like Baudelaire, Rimbaud, and Nerval, and Berlin, and all these crazy characters, and the Club des Achichiens, and I would read, you know, how they would get, they would gobble down great chunks of hashish and opium and then go off and write this great poetry that people <laughs> praise. You know, I was at Cambridge in one of the citadels of, like, classic education. These people were being highly praised. And then there were the romantic poets like Shelley and Keats and yeah. Byron and Coleridge yeah. who allegedly uh, wrote his very famous poem, Kubla Khan, while in an opium trance. So <laughs> it was... And then, of course, the beats. I, I was studying English, French, and German as the, were the three 
languages, modern languages at Cambridge. And my head was full of rock and roll mixed up with all these characters, all these wild poets. And, and that's how the prism through which I saw Sid, through which I saw Iggy, through which I saw David, through which I saw Lou, through which I saw Freddie. So those early pictures, that's heavily in my mind. And, and in a way, you can see it in the pictures because they're very romantically, and I don't mean kissy romantic, I mean romantic with a capital R in the sense of you know romantic literature, which is not about love stories at all. It, it's, um, I saw the, their auras. Yeah. I was more interested in their auras. I've never, never been someone who wanted to, um, who wanted to get the reality. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that you get from the cover of Transformer by Lou Reed. You get that. It looks like an aura. No matter how you yeah. Well, it, it dropped out of focus in the printing. That's what happened with that one. And I remember going to Lou, and I took a sharp one, because the picture was quite sharp, in fact. And I took, I just took eight by tens. I took a, a bunch of them. And Lou looked at them, and he just went, that's going to be the cover of my album. And, but it was the out-of-focus version, which was the one I thought was so exciting. So it became the front cover. Originally, the concept for the back, Ernie, the guy with the, um, banana. With the banana down his trousers, was, in fact, Lou's, I don't know, what, I don't know he was like his personal traveling I don't know, manager, but he, he used to deal with day-to-day stuff. He traveled with Lou. So that's where that came from, the out-of-focus that's, that's how that, that's, yeah, it's all bang, you know. And the same with Iggy. Um, I think that was... New York, he only had a one album deal with CBS. Yeah, and it was with that that they signed Mott the Hoop or whatever they signed him for a three or four album deal, and and it, it was all in the wake of the eruption of Ziggy. Yeah, Ziggy's then aura. The Hoople came out, and then Mott, then the Hoople, then the live album, and that was yes. It. And but of course, Ian's had a great career. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ian's great. I mean, he, and he and Mick Ronson got together and did that first solo record, and then well, that they did. A, yeah, and of course. It culminated in We Aorta. Do you know that yeah. one in the, in the late 80s? That they, yeah. was actually the Hunter Ronson band. Yeah. And I did the cover, interestingly enough. Yeah. Although the fans generally don't know that. But um, The Iggy cover of Raw Power, though, that was, you said it was within the same venue within 24 hours. Well, it's, apparently, I thought they were a week apart. But people said, no, oh, Mick, look, you've got to see the ads. You know, the little ads. They weren't big ads. Little ads, they run in some papers, you know. I mean, they both did have a an underground following. The super hip in London knew, like you know, like me and David, uh, those that thought they were super hip knew who Iggy and Lou and the Velvet Underground were. And so, in each, I think there were about seven hundred people it held, and they were they were pretty much full. So it wasn't like I was the only person in the world that knew about it, but I was the only photographer at both of those gigs. Wow! You know, nowadays. And photographers show up if somebody belches, you know, and yeah. then it's immediately on the internet. Yeah, you know, somebody dropped their trousers. Bingo, we're over there. So that picture there, did you present it to the Stooges? To Iggy? No, Iggy, Iggy never even saw it. Iggy was well. Iggy and the Stooges were like, they were out, you know, they, they were, were, they, were they were traveling in a peculiar arc, you know, yeah. even by the standards of the time. I mean, both Iggy and Lou had actually come to England, I think, to clean up. That was part of the reason for them coming. And Lou, well, he did clean up, I think, a particular habit, although then he shortly acquired another one. Um, or he dropped one of the two habits he had and whatever. And But yeah. Iggy, they, he had come over, he had cleaned up a bit, and then the romping had started again. So 
So, um, so he never saw the cover of Power. It was no, he didn't. And, and he, he said, uh, in fact, he many years later he said, and he and he talked to me about it. He how he hated the album cover. He said, I mean, he said as time went on, I began to realize that it was a great album cover and it was a beautiful pitch. But at the time, he said, I, I hated everything. And, of course, you can tell by the lyrics on Raw Power. Yeah. I mean, he said, I hated the world. Pretty going to hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated danger. I, I hated the world is what he said. It's the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Now, let's get into the uh, two iconic album covers for Queen 2 and Sheer Heart Attack, Ooh. which are two amazing albums to begin with. There's a great story about how Freddie wanted that photo and where he got the inspiration. Was it Marlena Dietrich? Was that no, it? I got the inspiration. Oh, you got it. Tell me that. And I presented it to Freddie. So tell me. And so Freddie bits immediately. Well, it was a friend because of mine called Because it's interesting Charles. how, I just wanted to interrupt you, Mick, but they use that again for the f- classic Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody oh yeah, video. That, that, yeah, people have asked me whether I was on set. I said, no, they copied my photograph. That's the reality. And if you look at the time, the one was 74. I don't think they released Bohemian Rhapsody till later 76. on. Exactly. Oof. There you go. So that was over two years later. So 74 um, was Queen 2. Yeah. And so tell me about how you... They had come to me in 70... After I got back from shooting David recording the Pinups album. A um, picture of Twiggy and, and Bowie, right? No, yeah, but I didn't yeah. shoot that cover. Yeah, right. No, I, I shot all the back pictures. You shoot those pictures. And I was of the art sitting director. on the um, on the chairs and the, the kind of stuff. Was it? Was he? Was he standing or sitting on chairs on the back of that cover? I can't remember. No, he's. You're talking about the ones with the saxophone. Yeah, the saxophone. Those sax photos are great. Yeah, I mean nowadays, they I had hadn't even put them out there very much, but nowadays somehow I've been lately I've been selling a whole load of those saxophone shots. Um, I think thanks to the show in London, the Victoria and Albert show. I mean, up in Sweden, I'm all kinds of stuff, not just David, but I've just sold 50 prints in about five weeks at an exhibition in Stockholm. So, great, which is though. quite a lot. That's fantastic. When, when they're going for, you know, two, three, four, five grand a pop, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but yes, yeah, so I had, a, I had a friend who had been introduced to me, I think, by uh, a fashion designer in England that you may not have heard of, called Bill Gibb. But he was very fashionable at the time as a lady called Zandra Rhodes, as a, you may have heard of, and Ozzie Clark. I mean, these are all the fashionable, glammy scene designers. And I covered not just the rock and rollers, but also Lindsay Kemp, also Pierre Laroche, the makeup artist, oh, yeah. also various other artists. I covered that whole glam scene. And that's why I have, you know, this huge collection of stuff from that particular period it was not i mean when the punk scene came along i could probably name you 10 photographers of whom i was one who covered the punk scene in london and new york but that glam period yeah there were people who maybe did a shot here a shot there but nobody was all over it like i was for whatever reason i mean it, i suppose gay he said well mick like guys in makeup didn't he you know well whatever it was i i i uh, i was fascinated and of course the centre of it all was David Bay, but then came Queen, and I the guy uh, Ken Scott who the producer uh, of uh, Ziggy and Aladdin the co yeah the co-producer and engineer yeah uh, from Hunky Dory through to Pinups yeah he when I was in the Chateau d'Ereville when they were recording Pinups he uh, he said to me oh there's this band signed to Trident Audio Productions who were the Trident Studios they owned Trident Studios which is where 
T-Rex recorded their albums, where Ziggy was recorded, where Transformer was recorded, where all the young dudes, and, and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, he said, oh, there's this band that uh, Trident have signed called Queen, and they want to work with you. And, of course, they wanted to work with me because I had, a, and this is, I suppose, when would this be? August, September of, of 73. Yeah. And um, the obvious thing was they wanted to be, Freddie wanted them to, to look like fucking schoolgirls. He wanted to get in on the glam thing. And um, so I went and met them over at the meeting room they had at uh, Trident. And uh, they played me Queen 2. And I went, oh, it's like Ziggy Stardust meets Led Zeppelin. And they went, right. You know, immediately I said the right thing. And uh, first they wanted a, um, a publicity session. They were still trying to promote the first album. Uh, they were the first pictures I shot. And then I shot what is known as the topless pictures of them looking very pretty. And then there came January, February of 74, the album cover. And I Wasn't there a story that they actually had were, were ballsy? They told the label that they wanted to... Oh, they controlled EMI. everything. They said they wanted a, a fold-out cover. Yeah. And, it, and they hadn't sold hardly any records. They hadn't sold any records. So right. And that's expensive to do a fold-out cover. Yeah. So there's a white photos inside, like the white queen, and there's the side black, side white. Yes, exactly. Well, that was the, their concept. Their concept was a gatefold cover has to feature the band, and it has to have a black and white theme. And I had just met this guy, John Cabal, the Cabal Collection, who had somehow acquired all these old Hollywood stills. And amongst them was a shot of Marlene Dietrich on the set of a film called Shanghai Express with her arms crossed and a little hooding on the eyes. I did much heavier hooding for the Queen 2 cover. I took the picture and showed it to Freddie. This is, I can't think of any other time this has happened in my life where what is a picture that directly inspired a particular shot. Showed it to Freddie, he went, fantastic, that's it. I want to be Marlena. I mean, maybe that was the sell because it was Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> and, um, and we showed it to the band and they went, okay, you know, we'll try it. But then... They also wanted to shoot the white one. In fact, once I'd shot it, the band really were inclined towards the white pictures, but not me and Freddie. Not that I could have persuaded them, but Freddie twisted their arms. And so, and in the end, they would seem to defer to the visual side of things. Remember, Freddie had been to art college. Freddie designed the logo. Freddie did the lettering for Queen. He was... When you first saw that photo, that... that... Your well, I knew. being used on the Bohemian Rhapsody video clip. I did. Well, I thought... That's great. I, didn't, I was... I was. I thought, oh, that's interesting, you know. I mean, everyone said what a great video it was. But I, I didn't <laughs> think too hard about it. I yeah. did think a little bit harder about it when it showed up to promote the Mike Myers film. What was it yeah. called? Um, Wayne's World. Wayne's World, yeah. <laughs> and I did have a conversation with the manager about it. Um, I mean, when Bohemian Rhapsody came out, yes, it is very famous. Remember, this is... 76 it wasn't it's still it got a certain amount of exposure a bit more than the than the bowie videos it had but it didn't really get tons of exposure yeah, you'd until it's a rock concert here yeah, or midnight couple of, or yeah a couple of things like that but it didn't really get any real exposure until mtv came along a few years later and then god bless mtv yeah. <laughs> now sure heart attack's one of my favorite records i love that album I it's mean, a it's, superb uh, album one of the, it just start to finish from Brighton Rock to In the Lap of the Gods reprise is just, you know. And the cover is so striking. It's almost disturbing in some ways when you first see it because it's sheer heart attack and everybody's sweating and almost looks 
dead. I mean, well, they're still like, you know, so let's talk came, about that. They had, in that, definitely Queen 2 was my concept. Remember, and everything. I'm like 13, but sheer heart 14 attack, years old, and I fell in love with that. Sheer Heart Attack. Yeah. I believe it was actually Roger Taylor's um, basic idea. Because he had a song years later on News of the World called Sheer Heart Attack, which was interesting. Well, I think it came from him, and he said, we want to look like we're thrown up on, a, on the shore of a desert island, and we're all, like, sweaty and this, that, and the other. And that's what I did. I mean, and Brian writes about it in the forward to my uh, Killer Queen book. And... Um, how, you know, they had to lay around for hours on the floor, getting water and then glycerin, just so it would really, like, you know, jazz it up, like you grease up some nude model or something. <laughs> so they got greased up. And, uh, yes, and, and the lettering, too, that was, that was uh, they wanted something strong and blocky for that me, did, and that's it, what it I came up with. total block lettering. Was yeah, different, yeah. You know? Now, who are some of the favorite people you've shot with recently? We talked about Chanel Monet, of course, who's... An incredible uh, woman, too. You've done The Killers and Brandon Flowers as well, right? You yeah, know? yeah, I've done them together and, and separately. I've done... Um, and you do Blondie, too, in the, in the 80s and people like that as well? I did Blondie in the late 70s. I got late 70s, yeah, yeah. They, were, they used... They're not on their actual album covers, but on single covers, they used a bunch of my stuff. You know, yeah. they would be, you know, the full size for, yeah. for, the, for the singles they would release. Um, yeah, I shot the very famous Super Marilyn Monroe-looking pictures of the... The uh, the orange one we're on no the rose coloured red one where she's looking to one side and the one in blue when she's like this and the big golden smile one uh, and then I did a bunch of stuff of her with all these radios hanging off of her um, I did enough to actually do a book a few years ago called Picture This and and of course I did the Ramones End of the Century album cover which is what well, that's I love Phil it. Spencer. I, yeah. That's another iconic album cover, though, because it's just the way you shoot the guys kind of looking sideways. Yeah, it's just to The photo the is yeah. very cool. I mean, it's great. Um, but the Ramones, so that, what was the experience of like working with well, them? Well, they, they, Danny had said to me before, he said they hate photographers. This is the brief. They've already done three sessions that they rejected. They could get bored and just walk out. You probably only got them for an hour. I said, I'll do it. You know, yeah. and we don't have a lot of money. So because we've blown it on the other sessions, I immediately said, no, I want to do it. Especially because it was produced by Phil Spector. I mean, the Ramones and Phil Spector. And of course, it didn't do specially well at the time, but it is an incredible album. It is. I mean, listen to Needles and Pins, which I love by yeah. The Searchers. Yeah. But that's fucking brilliant. I mean, it's a, it is a brilliant album. Yeah. And, and it's a shame for both the band and of course, it had, you uh, know, rock and roll radio on it, and uh, Chinese uh, rocks, and all that. Great the stuff. fucking yeah, who wrote? Maybe Ch I love you was on there. Who wrote Chinese rocks? Oh, therein lies a tale. Didi will tell you he did, oh, and Didi. Johnny and Johnny Thunders will tell you he. Oh, did. let me tell you something. I brought that up with Didi once, man. He, and he got angry. Out. Oh, he, he would did. Get angry, we were getting yeah. on a plane together, and you know, and I called Joey the next day, and Joey's like, "Oh, don't worry about it, man." Didi just goes crazy when he hears that song. Because I didn't mean anything by it. I was just no. going, hey, so you wrote Well, they that were song smacked out together, and, who, and they the fucking yeah, can't remember who did Nobody it. can't remember who wrote it between Johnny Thunders and Didi Rose. I'm getting on a plane with Didi. And I go, so, you know, I go, oh, like, kind of like when you wrote with uh, Johnny Thunders on, on uh, Chinese Rocks. He goes, fuck oh, him, I, wrote I didn't fucking, I wrote that fucking He's like, he got crazy. <laughs> I swear I called Joey the next day and went, Joey, man, Didi flipped out, man. He's like, oh. He always does when it comes out so mad. Don't worry about it. He'll forget it by tomorrow. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> great. it's great. It's a great story, though. Because that you can, yeah, we know we know why neither no one's really sure who wrote it because because they were both on the Chinese rocks to hell. <laughs> there yes. you go. 
<laughs> it's crazy. God so, bless Mick, we, we're, we're running out of time. I want to talk. I know. About what about the present? And what about, about this documentary that's about coming up? Documentary, the guys from Vice who we love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a company called Straight Up Films have also put money in, but Vice will not only money, but they'll be heavy. There was a guy called Eddie Moretti who's one of the top guys over there. And he believed in the pro. He actually put up some of his own money for a while, while the money was getting sorted out. He, he, he knew he'd get it back, but he actually, yeah. God bless Eddie. Um, and the guy that's directing it is a young. Well, he's not. He looks young. He's actually just turned forty. My premise, because I talked to a lot of directors for many years who wanted to do this, and at my attitude was, this can only be done once. And if I've got to wait, so what? It's got to be done right. And I didn't want it to look like every other documentary out there. I actually did a little thing to show whoever was going to do it. And then I met Barney through Karen O, who, the, whom yeah, she yeah, yeah, who you work with now. Yes, and who, whom she later, she, they later got married. And, yeah, I love, I mean, I've always been, I've been a fan of, ever since I shot him in 2003, or even before that. So the, yeah, 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 yeah he has one of the great. great modern bands, no doubt about it. Yeah. And um, so... Then I came across Barney, and Barney got that it had to be something a little bit different. And this is about that London-New York synergy, which has produced so much incredible music and art and God knows what. And he is a London lad that lives in New York. So he somehow he got it, and this whole thing gathered steam, and then Vice. There were I had talked. There was Channel 4 in England were going to do it. There was a two companies, several people, but each time I was, I never got really comfortable with it, but I got comfortable with Vice, and I got comfortable with Barney, and... When do you think we'll see it? Well, it's, I'm not sure when you'll see it here. I mean, I know William Morris are the people who are touting it around to get the distribution, but it's... um, uh, and, of course, it starts with, with Sim Barrett and David Bowie. The double Bs, I can't escape them. God bless them Two both. Ones, I love them. Though. No, I love them. No, yeah. I, if I, You're still friends with Dean. Yes, yeah. Years. Well, my respect for him from the beginning was broad and deep. And he is, David, if I may say it, if you listen to this, he is a fucking gentleman. He's, He's amazing. He was, however crazy he may have got and, and whatever. And even though there were years when we didn't necessarily talk because I had my own agenda, um, he is um, he's a true British gentleman. Uh, and, and he's a genius. If anybody ever doubted it, which yeah. I never did, of late, people absolutely, you always acknowledged it. You've always known that. But he's had that. his ups and downs in, in public opinion. But he's, I mean, what he's done, you know, yeah. he played the Howard Hughes, Greta Garbo of rock and roll for years. And then he bang, he whacked everybody. With the with next the, day. With, the, with the, ne- the next day, but also in London. And it's. It's probably more significant in London and Europe. The Victorian Albert is one of yeah. the biggest bloody museums in the world, but they also put on special shows. And it's broken all records over there. It's sold out before the place, before it even opened. Incredible. Show. So he's, well, he's the national, he has long been a national treasure in England. Uh, and I do believe, I'm sure he has been offered a knighthood, but equally, I'm sure he's turned it down. Yeah. I think he's David is a totally eclectic individual. He's unpredictable. He's a gentleman, and he's brilliant. 
No, I love him. And I, one of my favorite moments was being in the studio at Looking Glass with you oh, yes. and Tony Visconti and oh, David, yeah. and we're all sitting around and oh, yes. listening to... Uh, oh, when I shot those pictures in 2002. Of yeah. Them. Yeah. yeah. The, the ones, in fact, one is on the cover of my book, Exposed, which is a now... They're actually working on a I remember when uh, Interpol, not the band, but the organization, found stolen uh, outfits from uh, the Ziggy and Aladdin Sane tours that were stolen in Portugal. Someone <laughs> put them up on sale, and David was telling me about how Interpol got them back for him. Cause well, he, he has a massive, without that, the Victorian Albert Museum could not have done this massive show that they yeah. did. I, mean, there's I was never... glad that he recovered that stuff that belonged yeah. to him, though. I was so it's happy his. about that. Absolutely. Yeah, you know. Mick, how can people get in touch with you to find out more about things that are going on? Go, with go to MickRock.com and you'll find all kinds of stuff, including information about the Transformer book that Lou and I have done together, which is beautiful. The production values in it, they've almost sold out, if they haven't already, the first 300. There's only 2,000. They're all signed, but there's a special edition, which is leather-bound. It has... Transformer on the cover. I mean, you, it's beautiful. Even like Lou it. says it's beautiful. But um, yes, Lou Reed, God bless Lou Reed. God bless Lou's all. Lou's a of good them. man. He really ah, he's, he's, I've been nothing but great experiences with Lou. Yeah, over yeah. The years. I know Lou has an interesting <laughs> reputation out there. Not with me. I mean, no, well, he's not. Different. That's that's what he puts out there. He really isn't like that. I mean, if he knows you and respects you well the thing is when you first came across him you probably interviewed him but you if you know what the heck you're talking about he's very cool it's when people interview him and say stupid things then he turns a bit mean on you and and he's a always yeah well you knew what when you walked in you knew exactly what you would you understood his history you understood you had the right you had empathy he would embrace you i mean he and i People say these things. Oh, Lou Reed. I say, well, he's always been really nice to me. I have to tell you, I, I'm aware that he can, yeah. he has an incredibly sharp tongue if he wants to. Mick, it was great to have you here today. It's, it's wonderful. Fantastic. So it's, it's MickRock.com for everything that Mick has going on. Tons of stuff. And uh, I'm, also I'm, to see, get get a hold of some of the books and prints. I'm sure many of you are interested that are listening. But Mick, it was so great to have you in today to the Hivecast. It's to do with it's it. always fun with you. It's a pleasure. But you are an educated. You may you certainly have been a lunatic in your time, which I respect. Yes, because I always got on with lunatic. Yes. but you are you're an informed gentleman too. You're like myself. You're not only interested in the surface of it. You're interested in the mechanics and the arts in yeah. depth. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Mick. It was great to have you here. Mick Rock on the Hivecast, everyone. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.